Holy shit, I love the House of Quark. Oh, this was a really fun episode. I like this episode a lot because it is making fun of Klingons, and I hate Klingons. Oh, I like and Klingons. And it's Ronald D. Moore doubling down and remaking Sins of the Father as a comedy of manners, and it's fantastic. You know, I think it was very – this is a very – interesting position for this episode to be because we just had two very heavy very dramatic very serious you know game-changing episodes and it having it was the perfect time for a light comedic episode frankly i mean this one doesn't have very high stakes it's very funny it's a what are you talking about? It's got all kinds of Klingons, and they're angry, and they're fighting each other. Oh, you know, it's great. You know, and, it's... and and O'Brien, the O'Briens are having problems, which is fantastic for them. I, I, you know, I, I, I they I, love I, each other, and they like having sex with each other. It's and... like watching Bugs Mate. It's I mean, great. I, I, I remember when we first started talking about you know the O'Briens, you know, back in Next Gen, and I said, you know, it's kind of nice, you know, they. You know, they have, like, little domestic scenes, you know, and we get to see what home life is like. It's cute, you know, and you basically did one of your, like, I can't tell you because it'll be spoiler. Well, this is what, you know, this is, I think, explains why you had that reaction to the O'Briens. Well, I mean, the thing is, okay, I mean, let's get the O'Brien stuff out of the way because, frankly, it's the least interesting part of the episode. Although I do like it, and I think that it is, Mm. you know, this is the rare instance of the A plot and the B plot both working in the same thematic area. You know, I I like to make fun of the O'Briens, you know, because I like to make fun of straight people. It's it's just, you know, it's fine. It's there, you know, they're they're just a nice married couple and they obviously enjoy each other's company. And Do you ever get the sense that the two actors don't really like each other though? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say like cuz they have no, I like Keiko and I like O'Brien, but they have no chemistry. No, they have absolutely no chemistry with each other and I think that that's kind of why I like them a little bit because uh, I don't know why they're married. Like they obviously love each other. They they get along, I guess, but I, I don't get the sense that they have a lot to talk about. And I think that maybe they just like fucking. I don't know. Like they obviously are hot for each other and they're very supportive of each other. And it's just kind of this like er Hollywood idea of what a romantic marriage is supposed to be yeah. like. And it's all fine, you know? Um but aside from that, Molly is gone. I don't know. Nobody knows where Molly is this episode. I guess the actress was not available because she was painting a picture. Oh, finger and, painting. Yeah. And, and you know, it's... it's. Oh, she paints a picture of her TV mommy and her TV daddy fighting because, like, she saw them fighting behind the scenes, you know. You're blocking me, Miles! <laughs> uh, you know, it's just a nice little subplot. You know, it's interesting for, you know... Part of me feels like this is an indication that shit's about to go down soon, which is something that we know is going to happen just based on kind of the first two episodes of this. Oh, I thought you meant like in the O'Brien marriage. Oh, no, no, no. Like when when Miles and Keiko get, you know, taken by the Cardassians in the episode where O'Brien's in prison, like Molly is explicitly not on that vacation because frankly – in that scene, you know, to have the little kid in that would be terrifying. Like, that would not be a good scene. And I feel like, you know, Keiko is almost, you know, Keiko, she isn't quite a civilian. You know, she is Starfleet, but she is a botanist. You know, she has no real military training. You know, she's not going to be, 
you know, she's not the kind of person who's going to do well or wants to do well or wants to be in a combat situation. And Deep Space Nine has the potential to be a combat situation very soon. I mean, people are evacuating. So it's almost as if, you know, they're getting rid of Keiko and Molly. So they're going to be out of harm's way when like things really start getting bad on that station. I think that's an interesting read of it. And I think that's probably part of it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I like about the subplot and one of the things I really like about the episode in general is that it it does treat women as people with their yeah. own you know beliefs and 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 uh, desires and you know the thing about Keiko that I like is that you know there is a tendency in the show to treat her as O'Brien's wife and this episode very much does not do that you know she is the fact of the matter is having Keiko O'Brien run a school never made a lot of sense yeah I mean she's obviously not trained as a educator. And it was something she did because she needed to do something and that needed to be done. And she figured, you know, it, it, you know, there was there's a sense that it's almost the first project that she, you know, kind of found, you know, and it could have just as easily been anything else, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I get the sense that that Keiko is, is I mean, we don't really know, but I think that I get the sense that she is someone who likes, you know, if you look at it as the botany part of her and saying, OK, she likes nurturing. Yeah, things, sure. You know, that all makes sense. That's fine. I mean, I think that having her be a botanist is you know, it, it it it's okay, but it's kind of like slotting her into that sort of like female nurturing thing a little bit. But it works all right. Um, you, you know, know this I, is 1995. We can't really expect that much or 1994. And I would say, you know, this episode in particular, but in general, you know, it hasn't treated her botany like it's a le- lesser science or anything. No, like no, that. no. Like, you know, she uh, this uh, again. You know, you're, it is true that this episode takes her more seriously than other episodes do, but not in a you know left turn kind of a way you know well this is a serious expedition she's going on she does have a serious career she did leave behind her career you know they talk about you know how they had a discussion i mean many couples have that discussion you know yeah when it when it's time but there's a whole running subplot in the first season of borgen like that so you know that that's cool yeah so that's Um, very mainstream so it's very danish um yeah i go for a danish what i what i like about it is that too also that um Bashir like kind of yeah I like the Bashir I like Bashir in this episode a lot because Bashir yeah. kind of has the feminist read on the situation I think it's and it, you know it's it's one of those things where O'Brien is obviously someone who loves his wife a lot and he's kind of bumbling around yeah. this problem and he doesn't really know what to do with it until he you know runs into Bashir at the replimat and Bashir is like hey dude like you know this is her career this is what her 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 professional life is yeah you know would you be happy tinkering in a workshop and o'brien's kind of like well no i i wouldn't you know i i want to do something important i want to feel like yeah. my my skills and expertise and training are, are, are going in a direction that is important and meaningful to people and i think that in the same way bashir is obviously telling that to o'brien and saying that's what keiko wants and it's then that the penny drops her you know for for miles and he says he says oh yeah right of course i mean she's not gonna like this i mean i think it's funny yeah he talked because first he talks to uh Cisco and both Cisco and O'Brien think, you know, this is a great idea. You know, she's going to be so happy with this. You know, they were both married men, you know, and they yeah. both had successful marriages, you know, until Jennifer died. But, you know, and, you know, it's Bashir who is the single guy who is, you know, likes to date a lot, you know, who doesn't want to get serious, you know, with anybody who has the, you know, who has the correct insight, you know, and realizing that, you know, this is going to work for about five minutes. But, you know, I mean, in the first season, before she even opened the school, you know, if you remember, that was kind of what Keiko was doing, figuring out what she 
you know, what it wanted to could do in this. And, you know, the topic of an atrium was broached and she was very like, you know, she basically said at that point, like, that's not really a serious thing. Like, oh, an atrium. Right. Wow. Right. I had forgotten about that. I think that's a really good observation, you know, because you think about it and you think about what she was doing on on the Enterprise. And yeah, where she was was going to other planets. And well, right, because at first I was thinking, right, but that's what she was doing on the Enterprise. Of course, that's not what she was doing on the Enterprise because she was there in a professional capacity and they were going to different planets and she was able to collect new species, categorizing new species, learning about them. Yeah. And she's not able to to do that in an atrium on a deep on a deep space yeah station. and so that's why i think and also i think I, that the episode uses the setting very well you know it's bejor is there yeah. and she's going to bejor to do botany and i think it's going to be great for her you know it's going to ch- i think it's going to change um it's probably going to change how miles stories are constructed yeah. because his wife and child are gone and he's now going to be a um, involuntary bachelor for yeah. a couple of, well, I guess a voluntary bachelor, but you know, he's going to be a bachelor for a few months. So, so where, where is that going to go? Oh, uh, he and Bashir are going to end up roomies. Maybe. Uh, uh-huh. that's cute. Um, yeah, I mean, frankly, an atrium would be a very good hobby for Keiko. I'm sure she'd love to, you know, take all these plants that she's learning from Bajor and display them and curate them. But yeah, I mean, this episode makes it clear that she wants to do serious work. You know? Yeah. And she hasn't been. And that's why I really like it, because I think that, that it does a good job of showing exactly, you know, how some some people, I mean, women and men are not fulfilled by just sitting around the house all day. I mean, there's not a lot for Keiko to do there. She, you know, O'Brien's going off to work on one scene and she's kind of sighing to herself. She's like, I'll be here. You know, like. Yeah, like she has. The, I mean, they have that great romantic night, you know, and, you know, they, I mean, it reaffirms that their marriage is strong, you know. But, yeah, at some point. He has to leave, and you know she's staying. Yeah, she's staying home. What is yeah, she? and I and I and I like that, and I like the fact that it does, you know, treat both characters, both people in the relationship, as having you know strong professional careers, and they both want to do something with it. So, yeah. and I think it works really well, and I think it also you know is a nice it it slots in nicely as a B plot for the A plot, of course, which is another story about a woman sort of constrained by circumstance and having to kind of figure yeah. out a different way to do things. It's very interesting that Cork gets keeps finding himself in the feminist empowerment episodes. Yeah. You know? uh, and, and given that his culture is the least, you know, female empowered. So I think that's, you know, this this is a... We see that, you know, Klingon is a little more receptive to women owning property and something, but there needs to be all these loopholes and special circumstances, you know, around it. So they're better, but not, you know. And that's actually, you know, that's one of the reasons why I like this episode so much is that, again, you know, I was kind of being a little facile at the beginning of the podcast saying, oh, well, I don't like Klingon episodes. And I kind of don't. I mean, I think that, you know, Sins of the Father was a great episode, but this is obviously, again, Ronald D. Moore doing Sins of the Father again, only this time as a comedy. And, you know, to his credit, it works really well. I think that, you know, this is not an episode that you could have done in season three of TNG. You know, it it needed those few seasons to kind of develop the Klingon culture in this kind of area before you can do an episode yeah. like this. And it, it, it presumes a, lo- a level of knowledge of the Klingons and their, their culture and their sort of practices that that make it humorous because we're looking at it from an outsider's perspective in a way. Yeah, the see, I mean, it's it's... All of those years were set up to the punchline of of the Klingon Council, you know, using their calculators and being furious that he used math to, you know. I love that scene. (laughs) I mean, I think the the scenes with Quark um, in the chamber are probably some of my most famous 
some of my most favorite comic moments in the entirety of the Star Trek franchise because just, you know, Gowron bug-eyed, just looking at a at, at a ledger sheet, <laughs> you know. Quark you know, is- everybody plays it completely straight. I mean, that that's part of why Armin Shimmerman is so good in this show. But yeah, he the, no none of them are playing with any hint of irony, or you know, they he, they are a hundred percent committed to that, and that's why it's so funny. But yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the 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 ending scene, his line reading on you know De Gaulle, son of whatever, is just perfect. <laughs> I mean. You know, Quark just doesn't have patience for this, but I think that that it does. I don't know. It it does an interesting thing with Quark's character because you're right. I mean, Quark does keep finding himself in situations that are very unferengi in a way, and he's able to fit into those situations. You know, he's not someone who wants to take action unless it's going to get him profit, but when he does see someone that's in some sort of distress. He does step up and he does, you know, we've seen this happen before. Um, And I like that about his character. I think it paints him as, uh, you know, frankly, a man who uh, is a little bit, I don't know. I don't know if he's reticent. I don't know if he's lazy, but it's just kind of like he doesn't want to step up until he wants to step up. And then, of course, once he does, he does a really good job of it. You know, there there are almost Casablanca style, you know, elements to Quark's character. You know, he is a Rick kind of a character who, you know does have that sense of nobility and, you know, is going to do the right thing when push comes to shove. It's just, you know, he's kind of a jerk till he gets to that point. But at the end of the day, he's our jerk, you know? And I also think that that the the other thing about Quark, too, is, yeah, he's our jerk, but also, you know, he he keeps getting pushed into situations and, and he's... I think Quark, to a large degree, is someone who wants to have control over his own destiny. I mean, I think that's why he probably has never left Deep Space Nine. I think that, you know, we've kind of talked a little bit before about how maybe Quark wouldn't necessarily fit in that well in Ferenginar. You know, we we don't know. And I I think that, that he does want to sort of like have control over his own life. And in a certain sense, when he gets put into these situations, I mean, he's kidnapped, right? And he's taken to Kronos. He realizes that getting out of this situation is, is is incumbent on him, and he steps up and he does something about it. Yeah, he doesn't, you know, he stays longer than he kind of needs to, frankly, in the end, you know, because it's true. He doesn't need to come back and actually, you know, he could leave. He doesn't care about honor. He cares about profit and saving his own skin, you know, as a Ferengi. He is doing right, right by Ferengi standards, you know. I mean, this isn't, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we had a few episodes ago where— you know, Quirk called Cisco out and saying, you know, you, you know, my people have values, you know, you need to respect those too. And, you know, this episode, you know, largely hinges on Ferengi values, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it is, be- frankly, it's because of Quirk's talents that they figured out that Eris was, you know, not really, you know, being bound and, you know, it's yeah. because of his that they figured out, you know, how their lands were being taken over, you know, uh, Cork has a lot more his he's he's the one they go to when they need hacking done you know he's he has a lot more skills and those all come from being a Ferengi frankly right and I think also I mean the entire events of the episode are are, are set in motion by his Ferenginess as well oh you know? I, yeah I, mean, I love the way it starts off like a sitcom episode you know they have a big lie and they have to keep it and then everything that happens just spirals out from that lie and you know, every single scene, you know, it escalates in another. What's the what's the worst thing that can happen now? Oh, well, this he gets kidnapped. You know what? You know, the scene when Rom appears and he's the witness. That was great. You know, the whole 
The whole episode was very well paced. And again, it's very funny. Yeah, it's very well paced. And again, it uses our knowledge of Klingon culture and Frankie culture and all of these things to, to, to construct an episode that makes a lot of sense. I mean, of course, you know, nothing seems out of place. You know, nothing seems like it's the events seem to flow organically from one yeah. scene to the other. I mean, the, the, the episode is really well done. And I think that, you know, it's, it's on a, you know, on sort of a meta level, I think it's, it's really nice that the show at this point, you know, is able to, I mean, because the show was never as bad as TNG, you know, got in its first season, but certainly the second season, kind of a lot of it did feel kind of flat. And, you know, one of the things about this so far is that this episode, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't consider House of Quark to be a classic. I don't think that this is an episode that's going to make any top 10 lists, but it's really, really well done. It's really entertaining. There's some some thematic resonance there. And I think it's just really nice to see that the show can just have a really solid episode that's really, really good at this point. Well, and it's again, it's like I said, we had some pretty heavy episodes. The next episode has some more serious themes and it's actually very creepy as hell. So yeah. it's really nice to have... You know, the episode just a hangout, you know, it's not quite just a hangout episode, but it's a very funny episode, you know, well, and I it's think very, like, it, 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 it was a very welcome relief, this one. And I also, I actually think that this is the season where Deep Space Nine really doubles down and says, you know what, we are Star Trek now, so we are going to yeah. put our own stamp on it. I mean, I don't think that the show, you know, if, again, if you look at this and say they're remaking Sins of the Father as a comedy of matters, like, that should not work. And <laughs> it's it's something that, that I don't think Deep Space Nine would have done last season. I, yeah. I don't think the show would have been comfortable doing it. And I think that, and again, in the next episode as well, where it basically blows up Trill, I mean, I mean, not literally, but but sort of blows up the concept of Trill, that, that it is willing very quickly out of the gate in the third season to completely sort of like change the game in a yeah. lot of these circumstances, which is something that I really appreciate. You no, know, I I'm the, the four episodes we've seen of season three so far, like if, if this is deep space nine now I get it. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, you were enjoying the show. Yeah. But, but now this is, like I said, the, the, the way that this is a very masterfully crafted episode, both of them were. And I thought that was, and that's very nice to see. What, what this is you, a show that knows what it's doing now. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I think that, you know, again, it's interesting that the, the writers for these two episodes were, were TNG vets that came over from TNG. You know, this was written by Ron Moore, and, and the next one's written by Renea Caveria. So, you know... But, you know, that, that, that could, in a way, I mean, again, the scene of them on their calculators, that's a scene that couldn't have worked in TNG for the portrayal of the Klingons, what they needed to be. Right, you know? right. Now that, you know, this is a wholly different thing, we don't have a Klingon main character, you know, anymore. So, yeah, we can do something that's, you know, left field and funny and so incongruous, you know. And I also think, you know, that, that you know, we talked a lot when we were talking about TNG Season 7 and just how tired it seemed. And, you know, the, the writers seemed like they were bored and having trouble coming up with, with new and interesting twists on, on, on plots. And, you know, it wasn't them. It was just the fact of the matter is once you write for characters for a few years, it's like, where can you really take them? Yeah. And, you know, as soon as they come over to Deep Space Nine, they're they're doing really good work again. And so not to say the TNG season seven was some sort of unmitigated disaster or anything. Yeah. It just wasn't as good as the other seasons. And there certainly were a lot of clunkers. You know, the, the show was definitely you know, getting tired by that point. It wasn't season three through five. Yeah. Yeah. And so now they're, they're back on, on a show that, that feels fresh and vibrant again. Yeah. Well, great. Well, what do you make of Quark's kind of, 
his comments about the Dominion at the beginning of the episode. Because, you know, Equilibrium, the next episode we're going to talk about this week, doesn't mention the, the Dominion. They're not a part of that episode at all. And, you know, I think that this is going to be... I think it's interesting that the House of Quark opens up with with Quark kind of talking about now. What the does Dominion. he say? Because I... so basically, you know, he's talking about how you know business is very slow, and you know the the Dominion um, they just wanted a foothold in the Alpha Quadrant, and you should just come to an agreement, and you should get some money out of it, and you should just give them what they want, and both of you will come out a little better. Yeah, that's a really interesting and and sort of left field. Um, interpretation of the whole Dominion situation. I mean, that's that's the what the Ferengi did with the Dominion, frankly. Well, yeah, and I think that the but I guess my question to you is, you know, it, and, and I think you can see this in in Kira's line when Miles comes into Cisco's office when Dax and uh, Kira are there <laughs> and and says, "Hey, I need to talk to you," and it's you know blah blah blah, and Dax is like, "Oh, the boys need to talk," you know, and Kira's like, "Must be some human thing," you know. We've talked a little bit about this before, where the show is sort of giving us the the alien viewpoint more than TNG ever did. And so I think that at the beginning of this episode, when Quark is talking about the Dominion, he's basically giving us a, a you know a different interpretation of the yeah. events of the search. Well, the, you know the Ferengi are not looking for the Ferengi don't really seem to care about sovereignty and ruling and all of that in the way that the Federation does. You know what happens after at the end of the you know the Dominion negotiations is all right. You're the Ferengi. You're working completely for us. Here's all your latinum. The Ferengi would love that, you know, they'd be fine, you know, they are, they are fine to be, you know, working for somebody as long as they're getting the most profit from that. If they, if the, if they can talk with the Dominion and they decide that their relationship with the, the Dominion is going to cause the most profit, yeah, they're, they're fine with that. You know, frankly, like I, I think I said the other, the other week, the Dominion and the Ferengi will probably not, you know, ha- go to war with each other because, you know, what what do they need to do? They just need to drop a little bit of latinum into the Ferengi's, you know, hands and they'll be fine, you know, and peaceful and work with them, you know. In a, in a way, it's a very I mean, it's it's kind of a cynical viewpoint and it's kind of, of not a cynical viewpoint because, you know, to a certain degree, I can see Quark's point. I mean, why? Yeah. Go, why, you know, antagonize the Dominion? They want a foothold in the Alpha Quadrant, give them one who cares, you know. I mean, obviously, this is a different viewpoint from the from the Ferengi viewpoint. You know, we're, we we identify more with the Federation viewpoint yeah. because that's kind of the 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 viewpoint of Star Trek and the franchise. But I like that the show is giving other viewpoints a chance to breathe a little bit. And I think that from Quark's viewpoint, you know, he wants the bar to be full. He doesn't want people to be leaving the station. You know, he he doesn't want to 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 feel like his livelihood is being stolen because yeah. of the the Ferengi and Dominion pissing match or, you know, basically I think that's what he thinks of it, you know. Where wherever that's going to go, we don't know. But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that the episode is doing a really good job of you know, and I think that maybe I don't know if this is something that the the show is going to be doing more of. I don't know if that's even something that you're necessarily interested in, but kind of like you know, making making the the world feel a little bit more uh, a little gray. I think in a way. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, <clears throat> I can see the Bajoran Provisional Government having a different view about you know working or not with the Dominion or about what the federal you know. I can't see them being happy with the Federation's decision to suddenly be antagonistic with the Dominion because suddenly that gets Bajor caught in the middle again of another conflict that they don't want. Yeah, and I think that really what it comes down to is sort of, I think, you know, who knows what, of course, because I think that from our viewpoint, you know, 
we know that the Dominion is bad news. I mean, they were kidnapping people and they were basically running, you know, simulations to see what the hell they would do if the Dominion tried to get a foothold in the Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. And, you know, we know that, the, you know, at this point, I think we can identify the, that the Dominion are going to be an antagonistic force. They're not going to be happy just kind of sitting back and, you know, doing whatever. They're not the kind of normal Star Trek stuff where we can all kind of sit down and talk to them. Um, and so Quark, but Quark doesn't know that, right? I mean, you know, he kind of had, you know, he had some you know, interactions with uh, uh, the Jem'Hadar at the end of last season. But for the most part, he doesn't know everything that's going on. And so I kind of like that as well, where the show is starting to, you know, because TNG very much like all the characters kind of knew everything. I mean, they all the main characters were, yeah. you know, Starfleet, you know, officers, and they all kind of had the same information. They were all always in that briefing room and they all had, the, they all had the knowledge. And they all made the same commitment to, I mean, I know that was mentioned a couple times on, you know, TNG where, you know, someone was in danger. Well, when they signed up for Starfleet, they knew that they might be in mortal danger, you know, as part of their job, you know. Yeah, and that's not something that people that live on Deep Space Nine necessarily think. It's not something that Quark ever signed up for, you know, when he gets, you know, in the mission at the, uh, to, to you know, in the mission at the beginning of... What the hell was the episode? The Search, you know, part one. Yeah. You know, they have to basically bribe him with, you know, the Nagus's favor to get him to go on the ship. And the second he's done, you know, he leaves. And, you know, every – but, you know, and frankly, everybody kind of understands it and no one really seems to blame him for that because, yeah. you know, it's true. He didn't sign up for that. Yeah, yeah. We haven't talked a lot about Grilka. I don't know that there's much to say about her character. I think that she's a fine example of a, you know, Klingon, uh, you know, woman – uh, she's she's as interesting as she needs to yeah, be. You I know, I think really... that that she and Quark have some nice chemistry together. But at the end of the day, she's more of a plot device than anything else. She's not really a, a real person, um, and so it, it, you know, she's she's a vehicle. I mean, in the best way. I think I'm not trying to you know say that she's the show a guest is... star for an episode. You know, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to make some sort of like oh, the show is othering her or something. It's like she's a she's a perfectly you know competent and 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 sort of their character, but. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. She's there, and this plot is there to sort of show us a different side of Quark. Well, I mean, when you know Vash was on the episode on on DS Nine, you know, we talked about how her episode focused on her too much, you know, and she also had a you know relationship with Quark, but it didn't really tell us much about Quark. This is the opposite, and it's much more effective, you know. Yeah, it is effective to have the guest star, you know, kind of be someone for them to play off at to draw different, you know, personality traits out of Quark, you know, because he acts in this episode differently than he has because of the situation he's put into because of this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a very real reason why the show is called The House of Quark and not The House of Grilka. <laughs> I would go to The House of Quark. All right, let's talk about Equilibrium. This was a very interesting episode. I think this is probably the first successful Dax episode. And I would say it... It only half makes her – it's only half about Dax, I would say, because it's more about something which happened to her, you know, in solving a mystery that, you know, she's caught up in uh, rather than, you know – so she – I mean – Well, it, again, it, I mean this is the problem with talking about Jedzia Dax, and we always have this problem when we talk yeah. about Jedzia Dax. But, you know, what I meant by that was like Dax the symbiont, not Jedzia Dax. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like you – do know, you know what I mean? Like it's hard to talk about because like Dax yeah. is kind of a – character i mean dax exists and jadzia dax is a different entity from dax but you know this did happen to dax yes yes it's true. not like jadzia dax is just being acted upon in this episode no no jadzia's had you know she 
most directly deals with this incident that happened with Dax all these years ago, but she's, you know, yeah, it is about, you know, Dax's trauma and something that they are going through, you know? Yeah, yeah. And dealing with, um, I mean, I would say this episode is most effective for the vision sequences. I mean, especially the first one where they're, you know, taking off the masks and there's more masks, you know, and all of those, like, they're really creepy the hallucinations. No, they are. They really, they, really they, are. It was very well done. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that the I mean the episode is constructed very well. We don't exactly know what's going on for most of it. And it it it's very, very I think it's it's the kind of episode that that again, I think only the show could have done in this season. I think yeah. that it wouldn't have worked in the second season because, you know, we we kind of had some of the backstory of, of Jedzia Dax already. We kind of knew kind of how the trill worked we kind of got some kind of sense of you know how difficult it was to become a joined trill and of course this episode blows all that up but does it in a very interesting way yeah because i mean it's at the at the end it's revealed that they go through all you know they they pretend that this there are fewer joinable trill than you know, far fewer than they are. I think, you know, they said like, oh, 1% of the population can, but... No, they don't even say that. But it's like really, they, it's they about, say They say one in a thousand. I mean, that's... Yeah, know. but really, it's about half of, you know, the population is... I mean, on the one hand, it's... That's a... Ter- you know, they are, you know, forcing people into, you know, the situation of, you know, catering only to the elite and all of that. On the other hand, the point about how there are only so many symbionts and there are co- they would be a commodity if... You know, they were that that is a very legitimate point. They would go to whoever paid the most for it rather than. And also, frankly, I think kind of a dark way to go. I mean, I don't think that that's an argument that the next generation would have made. Yeah. The next generation would have gone on the well, everybody, you know, who wants a symbiont can get one. But the point in this is that, well, no, there is just not enough of a supply and. I mean, not they, even I mean, not even that. I mean, I think that's kind of facile, actually. I think that that if you look at this episode from a TNG perspective, you know, they would have come up with some sort of solution to say, oh, well, you know, half the population is joined. There's only 5000 of them or whatever, you know, but here's how we're going to have the truth of the situation come out, but still have a good yeah, resolution. Yeah, yeah. TNG was very much about compromise. TNG was very much about coming to a good solution for all parties, not the best solution for one party. Yeah. And in this episode, that's very much the opposite. I mean, it, it's left unclear whether or not Trill is a member of the Federation. I mean, I, I kind of think that they are, but you could definitely argue that they're not. Um, but I think that that's relevant only because if Trill is a member of the Federation and if they think that this, you know, reveal that half of the Trill population could be joined would cause such social disorder. I mean, she's talking about yeah. people murdering each other for uh-huh. them, selling them on the black market. I mean, riots. It, yeah. it sounds bad and it does not sound like what our idea of a, you know, of a Federation planet is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's interesting how... You know, one of the things we talk, you know, we've talked about how is this is a post scarcity, you know, universe at this point, and you know, this is you know a scarcity. You know, symbionts are a rare resource, and I mean, the show almost implies that scarcity of something valuable is what causes strife between people. I mean, that that's certainly the. I actually, yeah, I, I I think that that's actually a really good read on it, and I think that we will directly see that a few episodes later. Oh, good. In, in a two parter that I'm thinking of, which I'm sure the listeners, if they're familiar with Deep Space Nine, know which one I'm talking about. 
which I'm also really excited to to get into. But yeah, I think that that's actually really true. I think that the show does have the viewpoint that you know scarcity and and sort of want and without having the, the the capability to to meet that need is what causes societal problems. Is that true? Well, maybe, but that's kind of the 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 reality of the situation that this episode is presenting. Yeah, I mean, they. I will say that they, you know. The episode where she had the, you know, the the intern with her, you know, they talk about how, you know, we learn a, we we've we've learned a bit about what the testing, you know, for, you know, initiates is, and you know, one of the I things like, I like to imagine it is like them on a balance beam, like having to touch their nose <laughs> while reciting like trill poetry or something. I don't know. <laughs> But it makes it very clear that, you know, they don't want these symbionts going to just anybody. You know, there's, in, in other words, if you're going to get a symbiont and then just lie on the couch watching TV, like, what the hell is the point? You know, they want it to, you know, just having a career is not enough to get a symbiont. These things are so rare and they are so long-lived and th- that they do need a host which will, you know, do right by, you know— you know, so yes, a symbiont like Dax needs to be in a host who is capable of doing a lot because Dax has done so much, you know, that would cripple, that would kind of cripple him in a way. It would hold him back from what, you know, I, I, I well, I do, I do think it's interesting that, that you call the symbiont him. I, I mean, just realized that. I don't know if, if that, I was just about to point that out. I don't know if that's just because, you know, going from Curzon to Jadzia, you know, or if it's just to, you know, the pronoun makes it easier to differentiate because, you know, I can't call Dax an it or a they. Sure you can. Why not? Well, I mean, I think that, that you call Dax whatever you want. Um, I think that, that it's interesting because, you know, you've intimated in the past that, that you're interested in troll culture. And you're yeah. Sort of, you know, and this is... This seems, I was very excited to get to Trillia. This seems like an episode that is sort of like, you know, tailor-made for yeah. your interests. I mean, were you... I found, Were you let down by any of this? No, I'm very confused about these symbiont pools, and you know, so there are unjoined symbionts. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, my interpretation of that is that the symbionts are an actual life form that are on this planet, and I don't know. Somebody decided one day to swallow. I don't yeah, know. I, I know. I, who, who knows how this happened? But you know, yeah, it seems to me that that this is a life form that is that is you know um, sentient. And is able to communicate, and this is their natural habitat. So, in other words, like we could remove Dax from Jadzia, put him in the pool, and you know, then later put him into another host. Yeah, that's. I think that's kind of what they're they're going okay. for. I don't think it's. You know, they don't they don't explain it. Yeah, that. and it doesn't kind of matter. But at the same right. time, like seeing these symbiont pools, like that was cool. Like that's just a. It's very interesting, and in everything that you know we learn about you know. I think it does a good job of showing us that the symbiont actually is its own person. Yeah. And that the the relationship between the symbiont and the joined one is is kind of an interesting one because yeah. you know we've talked a lot about you know what is the relationship of the consciousness here and that kind of thing and you know the the implication is that you know the the trill actually kind of get they get a lot of good stuff out of being joined obviously. You know they they get a lot of knowledge, they get a lot of experience, you know they get an interesting life, basically, I yeah. think. Um, but the 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 symbionts also sort of get to experience what it is to go out in the world yeah. and do things because the symbiont itself is not anything that seems like it can go fly a starship. Yeah, the implication is that, you know, if it's not living in that pool or in a host, it's going to die. 
Right. And and I think that that's kind of a weird way to take it, but also a good way to take it because it makes the symbionts, you know, they obviously have their own sort of external reality and they obviously have their own sort of culture. But it, it, it's kind of unclear as to, you know, do they make the choice? I mean, obviously, I think that, that they're... They must be able to be communicated with when they're not joint in some way, because I don't think that the Trill are doing this against their will. You know, the yeah. guardians, very, mm-hmm. the guardian that we see in this episode is very protective of them, and we'd and, assume that he has some ability to c- communicate directly with them, and that yeah. you know all of the guardians would. Right, exactly, and so. You know what's interesting about it, I think, is this the kind of implication that that the the joined trill are getting something so profound out of this that you know if something happens to the symbiont that that they die, they die. You know, I, the, yeah. the symbiont seems like it'll be okay, um, but the trill is the, you know the trill the trill host is not going to be okay. Well, I I think I've said you know the the symbiont seem almost like a hard drive in a way. You know the. Uh, 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 the trail is the case, you know, in which you put the computer in, but, you know, the, yeah, yeah the, the, the symbiont is taking all of these memories and these experiences and, you know, the trail is allowed to access those, you know, in this, basically we're, this, this episode is dealing with the hidden folder, basically. Yeah, but I think that's kind of right and kind of not right. I know it's a simplicate it's a simplistic I mean, metaphor. I mean, but. I think the symbionts are their own person and yeah. you know the episode does say that they're able to communicate with each other. So, you know, to some degree they they are people. Yeah. You know, I just think that they're not um, you know, they're, we're not able to 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 have them talk. So we don't know what they're thinking or what their personality no, is. No, all like. we have is Jadzia's interpretation of her own physiology, really. Yeah. But then you have this this idea. I mean, you know, this episode raises a lot of questions that I don't know it's prepared to answer, which I think is actually okay. Because you know, one of the questions that I have at the end of it is, okay, well, this thing happened eighty five years ago, and they covered it up because they didn't want yeah. you know the population to realize that so many people could be joined, and the memory block is breaking down, and Jedzia has to reintegrate this, and blah blah blah. That raises a lot of questions around how this started, like how they knew who could be joined and who, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, well, they actually don't know that. It doesn't really matter. But they say that like half the population can be joined. So there's obviously some sort of criteria involved. I feel like it could be the kind of thing that maybe was given to a royal elite for a period of time. Um, And then as, you know, I mean, this is my personal, you know, headcanon, let's call it, but, you know, as as their society became more scientific, you know, maybe doing the scientific, you know, using the Institute and all that was seen as a more egalitarian, you know, because anybody can apply to it. You know, certainly they don't accept just anybody, but, you know, at least everybody can try. Yeah, I think that's true. And, 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 you know, it's, it's also interesting because it does, I, I like the fact that the episode makes both Jadzia and Dax a little bit um, exceptional because, you know, yeah. Dax, of course, is uh, the trill or the the symbiont, I should say, that was put into a, a murderer, essentially, yeah. right? And, and murdered someone and, and bad things happened. Um, and, and sort of like what, you know, what, what does that mean? Because I think the open question at the heart of the episode is, you know, would Joran have murdered someone if Dax wasn't inside of him? Like, like is there some sort of... You know, obviously, you know, his brother says that Jorian always had a temper and these kind of things, and he obviously was a troubled man. But, you know, what so, I'm saying is the the new personality that was constructed, you know, was that the murderer? Well, I mean, so my – yeah, my – number one, my question – so the t- so from a time frame perspective, um, what's uh, the version – I don't remember the the Dax, the name of that Dax incarnation. Joran. Joran Dax. So Joran Dax, not not the murderer Dax, but the one the one who crashed and had the 
Oh, that was uh, that was Tobin Dax. I yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tobin Dax crash lands, you know, as an emergency surgery, Joran gets the symbiont. That's what it seems like. Yeah. How, now, how did he get the symbiont? I don't know what you mean. So, uh, like, how did he get it if he was so crazy and, you know, not ready to... Well, that's what I'm saying. I think that the... Because the, the... the implication that I got was that it was, a, you know, we had a hostage situation, which we saw where somebody cut out a symbiont and put it in himself. No, right? no, no. I mean... That they... was not what Joran did? No, they say that Joran was in the in the symbiont okay. program. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, they... they um, they say Joran was in the symbiont program. They say that that you know he was accepted, and then he got Dax. Hmm. And, and that's so, and that's what I'm saying. So is then, that, after this madness and this murder happened, well, the epi- I think that's what I'm saying is that the episode is implying that Joran, you know, did have tendencies towards violence or tendencies towards yeah. anger, but it wasn't unlocked until this new personality was created between him and Dax. Well, give the given Dax's confidence and ability to get things done. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, once Joran Bilar became Joran Dax, you know, the the combination basically it, unlocked it, a murderer. It almost reminds me of how you know some people you know, will be very depressed, you know, then go on antidepressants and it makes them happy enough to be able to kill themselves, you know, like that, right. that that's almost, you know, the kind of situation I see here. Yeah. You know, Joran had, you know, murderous thoughts, but didn't act on any of them. And then, you know, Dax had the drive and the knowledge to go that. Yeah. I actually think that's a really good way to look at it, you know, and then, and I then, think- then Curzon comes into the, then, I mean, is the, the implication is that they essentially executed Joran by taking out the symbiont then. Yeah. And they give it to Curzon, and then from there we know, you know, Dax's story. But yeah, they, yeah. Huh. And, you know, it's it's funny because, you know, it doesn't seem like there's really any thought given to, to what the new personality is going to be like. You know, to me, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because, you know, if if this was a real thing and, you know, okay, you have this, this, this person who is going to have the symbiont inside of him and the symbiont has its own personality and the, the host has his or her own personality and then this new joined entity is going to create a new personality. Um, yeah, certainly there's probably no way to really know what that new personality yeah. is going to be like, but it seems like there would be ways to, to kind of say, oh, you know, like, let's have them give this test. And if they kind of score high on the anger scale, let's not give them a symbiont uh, that's really, really confident because maybe we'll make a murderer. Well, you know, you know um, part of the implication is that the join trill decides who their next is going to be. I mean, you know, we, we talked about, you know, they, they kind of, uh, you get the sense, you know, because, you know, Dax, you know, Jedzia says that she put, you know, Dax and that, you know, so you kind of put like your wish, like you put your, you know, top five, you know, for example. Yeah, because I think it's interesting because like I think that that one of the things that's interesting about it is, you know, Curzon knew Jadzia because well, we know from was, the second yeah. season that he was her whatever thing, um, her her mentor, right? Yeah. And then like if if the symbiont decides what the next host is going to be. Then, like, why did Dax decide to be in Jadzia? Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you know, you get this from from that, you know, exchange. You know, she basically says, you know, yeah, I I put down Dax, you know, after I reapplied, and then, you know, ob- so obviously, what what happens from them is, you know, obviously, then that then you know, the committee goes to this, you know, t- goes to Kurz on Dax and say, hey, this woman Jadzia, you know, put you down. You know what? Yeah, when 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 I die, I'm going into Jadzia. You know that that that's kind of the implication that I got from that sequence. You know that they, you know, they, yeah, they they kind of choose each other. And I guess way. it kind of makes sense. I mean, Curzon Dax was an old man. He was a diplomat. You know, he was kind of fiery. And you know, Jadzia's 
different from that. I mean, yeah. she's a woman. She's intelligent. She's, I mean, not to say the Curzon I isn't intelligent, say. but, you know, she's a scientist. And that's a very different sort of person than, than Curzon yeah. was. So I think, of course, Dax would probably want something different every every iteration, yeah. you know. And it's kind of the thing where I kind of think, like, oh, maybe Dax will, you know, eventually like oh maybe my next host will be more like my first host that seems fun i want to do that again or something yeah 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 no i think you yeah but again you know that that's that's one of the things they say is that they need to give the symbionts new experiences and so right you know and i think it is interesting that you know she's very known for being the first to reapply i mean that's one of the first things that the doctor says to her you know oh you're the only person who ever successfully reapplied to the you know institute and you know she's almost you know, famous for that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I like that. I mean, it kind of paints Jedzy as a very stubborn person in a way, and it kind of makes me think that, you know, maybe the stubbornness is coming partly from Dax, but also yeah. partly from Jadzia. Well, yeah, between the two. I mean, again, you know, the episode where, you know, she has her intern, the way she explains it, you know, is a very, you know, and I like that they take that bit down, and that kind of makes it clear how exceptional she was you know for going back you know yeah, at the yeah. time it just see, you know at the time it was certainly a note about her that you know she's the kind of person who's not going to let a little failure dissuade her that you know if she's not really measuring up she's going to figure out how to you know um, but now this makes it clear that a lot of people don't go back yeah absolutely and you know i think it's funny because you know we the last dax episode we really got into you know, talking about um, Terry Farrell and her acting abilities and sort of how the show was repivoting her character to fit in with her acting yeah. abilities and that kind of thing. And she was fine in this. And she, yeah, she was fine in this. And I think that, that you know, maybe we were being a little unfair to her. I don't know. I think that, that this is definitely the strongest Dax episode. And I think a lot of it is due to the fact that the writing is so much better. Um, you know, not to say that, that you know, when we talked about um, House of Quark a few minutes ago, you know, sort of talking about how much of the second season was okay, but it felt kind of flat. I think this episode definitely does not feel flat. No, again, I think, you know, they, they weren't, they were trying to make her a little bit of a frat boy or a little bit, you know, just fun loving and earthy, you know, and, Terry Farrell can't quite, you know, that that's not the kind of angle that she's really capable of playing. But, the retu- you know, this is a more along the lines of the original, you know, view of, you know, Dax as they had seen her in season one and such. Um, and but, and, you know, but and like, she's good at playing that version of Dax. You know, it's funny that, that you say that because, you know, I kind of think, I mean... I don't know. I think that 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 they retooled the character of Jadzia to be more like Terry Farrell, and Terry Farrell apparently is fun loving. Yeah. And so it's interesting that you say that you don't think Terry Farrell can play a fun loving character. Yeah, and it, well, <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know what the answer is. I mean, it's very. But I mean, weird. you know, people don't necessarily. Some people are very good at playing people different than them themselves. That's true. And yeah. you know, maybe she, you know, for whatever reason, she is able to play a more detached, analytical. You know, because when she is being analytical and you know all of that, she is very good at it. You know, and just for whatever reason, you know, she's not able to play herself. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons, again, one of the reasons why this episode works better than other previous Dax episodes is that she is given a chance to sort of, you know, be an entity in her own episode. And she's able to do things. She's able to, you know, take action. You know, all of these things that that the character wasn't doing before. I think that the, the show or the writers of the previous Dax episodes maybe had an idea that, you know, Jadzia was much more of a passive entity in this relationship and the, the symbiont was really driving things. And I think this episode makes it clear that yeah. that's not the case, really. You I know, mean, she's a, talked about street. she's talked about how it's been a balancing act between the host and the symbiont. And here it's even complicating by saying it's between the hosts and the, you know, because Dax, the symbiont, 
contains these seeds of Curzon, of Tobin, of, you know, yeah, and yeah. of Joram, as we're learning now. And, I mean, she's, you know, part of the problem that she's having these problems at the beginning of the episode is that she's, you know, she knows, she's known for years how to balance Curzon and how to balance Tobin and how to balance, you know, all of these people, you know, with her own, you know, desires and with Dax's desires. And, you know, she's, and suddenly, you know, she's getting very unbalanced by this very strong personality, very shockingly different personality and so you know yeah the episode is making it clear that she's gonna have a rough couple weeks until she gets to know this guy really yeah you know it's funny that you say a stronger personality i mean i don't know that the show is giving us much indication that joran dax is a stronger personality maybe more intense maybe that's how i mean it i i actually think it's just that they're they're new memories you know and that that that, yeah you know if you take this i mean the sci-fi idea of the mental block and all this kind of stuff right and you know it's breaking down and she's having to reintegrate these memories into herself and that's all fine and i think that that's kind of what's going on yeah you know i think it's interesting too that that they say that joran is is a musician and that's kind of how the idea is kind of imprinted in this yeah. episode that she's at the dinner party that Cisco is giving and I love that scene oh my god I, I, I like that scene because it's everybody just hanging out as friends like yeah it's something that the show hasn't done much of but I but think it's, it's starting I've, to you know it's interesting because you know TNG all the characters liked each other and they worked very well together and they had that you know show level mandate that they weren't allowed to disagree now certainly we have seen disagreements between all of these characters at this point. You know, that's kind of one of the strengths of this show. But at the same time, it feels like they've all earned their camaraderie in this scene. You know, you they know, have, at this point, they've been together for about two years and they're starting to like each other. And if, you know, they're just going to have a light party hanging out, they can actually really have a good time together. And I think there's two things that are interesting about that scene. You know, number one, Quark and O'Brien aren't there. Right, because mm. O'Brien's not there in that scene. I mean, it's it's Bashir, it's Kira, it's Odo, it's uh, Cisco. Dax shows up, um, and Jake is there, of course. But but uh, O'Brien's not there, mm. um, so that's kind of interesting. Yeah, and and no one even said you know anything like you know oh Cisco, you couldn't have gotten O'Brien off for the day, you know? Right, like so maybe he's saying goodbye to his wife in the fashion that only he and his wife can. I don't Ew. know. Um, <laughs> you know, Quark is they're rubbing their thoraxes together. <laughs> Uh, you know, Quark is obviously not there because, you know, nobody actually likes Quark. But, uh-huh. but you know, it's it. And also the other thing that I think is interesting about that scene, well, beside the fact that Cisco is cooking, we don't see characters cook very often. That's, yeah. that's a very sort of like intimate thing to do for people. You're, you're, you know, making something that they're going to put into their bodies. Well, I think it's, uh, it, you know, actually what's really interesting is that we saw when Cisco cooked at the camping trip, you know, all... Quark did was complain, so I don't think you know he would get invited to the next dinner party. That is true, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also that that I think uh, Cisco and like Cisco is in civilian clothes because it's his place. Yeah. But Kira is the only one that shows up out of a uniform, which seems weird. Like that doesn't seem like a Kira thing to do, and I think it actually makes her character a little interesting. Yeah, you know, I I I th- you know we see Dax out of uniform later in the episode in yeah. a way that's. That was actually very striking, you know, when she goes into, you know, Bashir's, you know, quarters and she's wearing that, like, you know, simple dress. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, and I do want to I do want to talk about that scene. But I think that the interesting thing about Kira showing up without her uniform yeah. is like it does say something about, I think, the difference between the the Starfleet 
and the the non Starfleet you know characters because yeah. the the Starfleet characters are all showing up in their uniform. They're going to their commanders you know quarters for dinner, and it, you know it's it's this thing. And you know I'm I'm surprised that Bashir didn't show up in his dress uniform. You know, <laughs> but but Kira is like much more relaxed. She's just like I'm just gonna come in my outfit and it's gonna be great. I and mean, of course Odo is... and Odo is wearing his uniform because of course Odo doesn't really wear clothes. But you know that 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 reminds me. You know that actually is very similar to that. Oh, you know, guy talk must be a human thing, you know, where she yeah. just, just, just has no fucking respect, you know, but in a really funny way, like, she's just like, you know, that's well, it. like, you know, like she doesn't really suffer formality. That's, that's the thing. That's, that's exactly what it is. And I think also, you know, between that line, you know, this must be a human thing yeah. and, and her showing up without her uniform and kind of in, in, in civilian clothes is that, you know. Again, it's 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 painting her as just coming from a different culture yeah. than than the rest of them. You know, she is being set apart, but not in a bad way. No, no, you know, she does. You know, and it's and it's, and it's, it's little... even a way that she. I mean, that's. I think she's even different for a Bajoran in that way, but she doesn't really seem to like all of the pageantry and the uniformery and all of yeah, that. You yeah, yeah. So you know, that's formality that you know. Why, why do I need to dress up? You know, I'm going out. I'm having dinner at my friend's place. Right. Like, you know, why do I have to leave? You know, we all know each other. You know, I'll find out about, you know, the problems between Bashir and his wife later on. You know, Bashir and his wife, not Bashir and his wife, O'Brien and his wife. Are Bashir, are Bashir and, had, and Keiko having an affair? Uh, that would explain nothing. <laughs> yeah. What about that scene between Bashir and Dax? Because I like that scene a lot. And, you know, I don't know that there's a lot to talk about with it, but I think it's important to mention it, mostly no, because I it's think it's a very it, comfortable intimacy. That's what them. I like. Yeah. About it. Like they've they've gone past that, you know, oh, Bashir's interested in, you know, Dax and, you know, she's not, you know, but they've gone to the part, you know, where I think it's clear that, you know, Bashir's kind of over that, but they've, you know, transitioned into being very good friends. You know, they're they're almost well to a literal degree they're like sharing a bunk bed yeah, exactly you know and you know she... that's not something that people that are fucking do no as a general rule <laughs> um you know it almost reminds me you know it it's not quite the same relationship that uh troy and Riker had but at the same time you know they did transition from you know romantic to you know almost a brotherly sisterly relationship i mean that that seems yeah. to and that's where they are, you know, in in that in that scene. That's kind of how they're acting towards each other. You know, she goes to her big brother's place, you know, to sleep for a little bit, you know, because yeah. you know, she feels comfortable there, you know, and she's needs, you know, that was nice. Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, overall, it's 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 a solid episode, and I think that you know, um, it says a lot about uh, the differences in, in sort of the show. I think in the third season going forward, and it just has a lot of nice detail, and I, I really like these two episodes. Good job, uh, Deep Space Nine. All right, well, if you would like to share your thoughts on either one of the episodes discussed in this episode of the podcast, please leave a comment on our website, trekaboutshow.com. Also, you can find our spinoff podcast, Trek About Presents, where we are currently working our way through the first seven movies of the Star Wars franchise. What? Fantastic. And as always, you can leave us a positive iTunes review. On iTunes. On iTunes. Also, social media. We are Trek About Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Before we tell you next week's episodes, we do want to remind you 
that we now have a Patreon. So please go to uh, truckaboutshow.com, get the link to the Patreon, and uh, check out what you can get if you give us a little bit of money. We like money. But no obligation. From you. But please do go there and give generously. Next week, we will be talking about Second Skin and The Abandoned. Okay, I'm ready for this. I'm glad you are.